we visited Jordan, which was actually one of the last places we went to before the pandemic started, we would road trip the entire country. Most of the trip, no problems. Everything went smoothly until finally we were driving one of the last stretches of our trip from Aqaba up to the Dead Sea. My partner, like I said before, likes to speed. And so he was speeding a lot of the way and we were in the desert. So we were most of the way through the trip when suddenly my partner looks at me and says, the car shut off. I looked back at him and I was like, what do you mean? The we're still moving. Welcome back to another episode of Drive With Us Podcast. I'm Bhavni. And I'm Taranjeet. And can you believe that this is our 100th episode? No way. I mean, yes way. This is super exciting. I didn't realize that, wow, we've done 100 episodes. This is special. (laughs) So in celebration of our 100th episode, we are planning to do a small little giveaway of DUAP air fresheners as a thank you for supporting the show. So all you would have to do is fill out your name and where you would like us to mail it in the Google form that we have linked below. And that's it. And we'll send you some air fresheners. And they smell really good. Really, really good. Anyways, let's meet today's driver, Erin Hines. Erin Hines is a travel blogger and podcaster. She writes about her travels on her blog, peanuttravels.com, and shares how to travel responsibly on her podcast, Alpaca My Bags. Today, she dived into the crazy adventure she had abroad, like the time her car shut off in the desert and she scratched a rental. Here's Erin. Welcome, Erin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're so excited you're here to share all your crazy driving stories. We like to start off to get to know more about you and your driving experiences. So where have you driven and where are you currently? I'm currently in Toronto, Canada, which is in the province of Ontario. And that's where I grew up. Although I grew up in a different city, Ottawa, which is where I first learned how to drive. I was about 20 years old when I started learning. And I'm not sure how much you know about the system for getting your license in Canada, but there's basically three stages. You have first your learner's permit, and then what's called a G2, and then you get your G. And when I started driving, I got up to G2, and then I moved to Toronto, and I never used a car anymore. I didn't have access to a car. I didn't really need a car. And so I ended up losing my license. And for the last about six years, I haven't had a license. And only recently did I start working towards it again. So right now I'm back at G1. Because I waited so long, I had to restart the entire process, which is super annoying. But I guess the the nice part is that because I've driven before, the G1 is really easy for me to do. I passed the test, no problem. So back at it. But in terms of driving around the world, I've driven, of course, around Ontario. I've also driven in other parts of Canada, like out west in Alberta and British Columbia. I've driven parts of the US and I've also traveled quite a lot. And although I don't drive when traveling, I'm always the passenger, which is really fun. My partner has his international driver's license, so he always gets to be the driver and then I get to take care of navigation. He and I have driven all around the world and we plan to drive in more places because we love renting cars in other countries. We think it's a really cool way to get to know a place. Do you think you would ever get an international driving license? 
I definitely will. I'm super excited to finish my full license this time. The whole process takes about two years. So I think in about two months, I'll be eligible to go for my G2 test. And then I'll have to wait one more year and then I can get my G. And once I have that, I will definitely be getting my international license so that uh, I can help my partner with the driving whenever we're abroad. I do have to ask, since you mentioned navigation as being the passenger, are you good at navigation? <laughs> like, I think that I am, but we get into a lot of fights while we're driving. And so if you asked my partner, he would probably say no. I beg to differ, though. I think I am good at navigating. And I find when I'm driving myself, I am pretty relaxed and good at following the instructions on the GPS. So I think I'm good at navigating. I feel like she was only asking because I'm terrible at giving directions <laughs> and following them. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when we're driving together, I just end up saying, okay, I'm going to put it on the GPS and then you can listen to the GPS voice and just they'll be responsible, not me. I don't want responsibility for missing the turn. Yeah. I know you touched on this a little bit when you're telling us about your driving so far. What would you say is your relationship with driving right now? Do you love it? Do you hate it? I would say it's interesting you ask that because when I first started driving, I was 20 and I wasn't nervous about it at all. I remember feeling like I was a super confident driver. I really loved driving. I, I'm honestly really upset that I never finished my license at that stage. It was just, it didn't make sense when you live in the downtown of a big city. And coming back to driving now, I do still love it, but I noticed that I'm more nervous about it than I was when I was younger. And maybe it's just like a maturity thing or an age thing or having not driven for a couple years, but I've definitely noticed that difference between when I was younger and and nowadays when I'm driving. But overall, I do still still really enjoy driving. I just find oh, it's so relaxing and I love just like focusing on the road and zoning out and listening to podcasts sometimes. It's just, I really enjoy it, especially when I'm traveling because I find when you're traveling, it's just such a great way to get to know beyond the places you stop. You would then have the opportunity to see what's outside of the landmarks that you visit within a place. So yeah, overall, I'd say I really love driving. Have you ever had a passenger experience where you're like, oh no, this was not a good idea? <laughs> yes, I have many times. <laughs> this is probably why my partner and I fight so much when we're driving. He has been driving for years, I think since he was 16 or 17. And so he's super confident and he definitely likes to speed, especially when we're in a foreign country that really makes me nervous. And so there'll be many times where I'm just yelling at him to slow down or to be more careful. I remember particularly in Vietnam, driving there is quite scary, especially if you're from North America because the driving rules are completely different and there's cars on the road and more motorbikes. And we rented a motorbike to drive around the city of Ho Chi Minh. And the first time I got on it with him, he was just so confident driving through these seas of motorbikes and I was on the back so, so afraid. But overall, he was really good. We didn't get into an accident. So any freakouts I had were just, just in the moment. Well, that's good. Nothing happened. <laughs> I feel like driving in some countries or just being on the road in countries outside of North America can be pretty scary. Definitely. 
And if Vietnam is anything like India, I I can totally see how crazy that would be. Yeah, Especially being on a motorbike. Yeah, not even in a car. You're on a motorbike. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's there's definitely a lot of similarities. I would say actually that Vietnam and India, of all the places we've driven, were probably the wildest. And we were the most nervous in those two countries. Although when we drove in India, we drove more in the countryside. We didn't have to deal with the big city traffic. I'm not sure we could handle that. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy intense. But since you mentioned Vietnam and the craziness of driving there, that's a great segue into what are your top three craziest driving experiences? The first one I'll tell you about is probably the most recent. It happened when we visited Jordan, which was actually one of the last places we went to before the pandemic started, which has kept us locked down in Canada for the last year and a half. We decided we would road trip the entire country. So we flew in and we rented a car and most of the trip was desert driving, which is one of my favorite kinds of landscapes to drive through. I just think deserts are so magical. And so we weren't nervous at all. We felt like super confident about driving there. And for the most part, it's a really easy country to drive through. Most of the trip, no problems. Everything went smoothly until finally we were driving one of the last stretches of our trip from Aqaba, which is a port city that's just on the top tip of the Red Sea. And we were driving from there up to the Dead Sea. And the drive is only supposed to take about two hours and 45 minutes. My partner, like I said before, likes to speed. And so he was speeding a lot of the way and we were in the desert. So there weren't any other cars around. It felt very safe to be speeding there because we weren't really liable for anyone else. It was just a straight road through the desert flat. So felt very safe. And we were most of the way through the trip. I think we'd been driving like an hour and 45 minutes and we were getting really excited because we were about to reach the southern part of the Dead Sea. So it was going to be our first glimpse of the sea. So exciting when suddenly my partner looks at me and says, the car shut off. I looked back at him and I was like, what do you mean? The we're still moving. And he said, the gas, when I push on the gas pedal, there's no gas, the car's off. And he was right. The car just slowed down and we slowly pulled to the side of the highway. And we just sat there staring at each other with no idea what had just happened. And this part of the story really gives credit to Jordanian people because within minutes, all these people had come from a nearby village to see what was up and they were all trying to help us. And Later, like half an hour later, we got to the point where we had no clue what to do, what was wrong with the car, or how we would fix it. So we were flagging people down on the highway and people would stop and come out and try to help us. Eventually, I got on phone with the car company that had rented to us. And the first thing the guy said to me was, were you guys speeding? At first, I was like, mm, no, I don't think so. And he was like, okay, I'll call you back in a few minutes. And he hung up on me. And he calls back and says, you were speeding by this much. That's illegal. So we shut your car off. And he just said, we'll look into it for you and we'll let you know what the next steps are. So we sat there for about an hour and a half before he finally called back and said, okay, we're turning your car back on. And what do you know? The car came right back on and we just drove away like nothing had happened after sitting there for nearly two hours in the middle of the desert. That's when we learned that you shouldn't speed in Jordan, actually probably in any country that you're not familiar with. That was a big lesson to us. We just didn't realize they had the technology to actually see what uh, speed we were going. 
Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that car companies, they can track your speed. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> How terrified were you when all of a sudden your car is just stopping? Like, luckily you were in the desert and there was no one around you. What if you were on a highway? That's what we thought too. It was like, okay, this would be very unsafe if we were on the highway with a lot of other traffic, or even if we were in the middle of a city in multiple lanes, that would have been like really difficult to figure out because we had to pull over to the side immediately. I have to say like, we're pretty anxious people, but we were pretty calm in all of that. I think because so many people came to help us, we just knew right away that we would figure it out. And we also took a lot of solace in knowing that it was the middle of the day. I think if it had been like evening, we probably would have gotten a bit more nervous about the idea of perhaps having to spend a night on the highway. But overall, we were pretty calm about it because we just, we just knew it would get worked out. Yeah, I just, when you're describing the story, it was just like, wow, I didn't know that rental companies actually did monitor. And then when they asked you, you're like, oh, um, no. <laughs> And then they're like, wait, we got proof. <laughs> I didn't think they would have the technology to have the receipts. Actually, we know. <laughs> okay, so let's hear your second one. This story takes place in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. We were super lucky to be able to go there for a week and stay with a friend of ours. She worked for the Emirates airline. She lived in this beautiful apartment that was in a high rise that I guess the airline owns. And we had been backpacking around India and she had extended an invite for us to fly over and just stay for a week. And we were super excited to just take that short flight and check out UAE. We got there and of course the first thing we set up a car rental and it all seemed super straightforward. But before we left the car, lot the guy who rented the car to us told us be very very careful about driving law he told us that there's cameras all over the uae even where you wouldn't expect it and if you do anything wrong like don't make a full stop or go like 10 kilometers over speed that you will get a ticket for it so because we had that warning this time we we decided okay we're not going to speed we're going to be the most careful drivers possible and driving around UAE was super fun, actually, because again, it was a lot of desert driving. There were times where we would have to slow down and let packs of camels go across the road, which was fun to see. And traveling around there by car was fun because I think a lot of people just go to Dubai and don't realize that outside of Dubai, there's just so much to see and beautiful nature and ocean. By driving, we had the opportunity to really explore all of that. The one tough part was that driving in Dubai is really hard because it is such a developed city with so many highways that all interlock and interconnect and navigating there was impossible. This is where we had our worst driving fights because there would be like six lanes and I would say, okay, the turnoff is coming. And he would say, there's four turnoffs coming. Which lane do I get into? Which turnoff is it? And I could never figure it out because there, I'd look at the GPS and there would be literally 10 lanes and I'd be zooming in trying to see and it was just so hard. So we would miss our turnoffs all the time. And then it would put like an extra 30 minutes, sometimes an hour on the GPS because we had just missed that one exit. We had a lot of driving frustration in Dubai and then it all came to a peak towards the end of our time there because we were parking in this park lot that was connected to the building that our friend lived in. And for some reason, the, the lanes in there were super, super slim. I feel like in America and Canada, when you're in a 
parking lot. The lanes are really wide to make sure you have enough space to clear the turn. And these lanes were so, 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 so slim. And so one day when we were trying to make the turn to go up the ramp to the second floor of the parking lot, we ended up in a tight spot and we couldn't get out and we tried to reverse out. And what happens? The entire side of the car got scratched on the cement. I don't know what it was, like something sticking out of the ground that was cement. And it just scratched this huge, long scratch into the side of the car. And you know when that happens and you're backing up and you could just hear it happening, but you can't stop because you know, I still have to back up. It's going to happen regardless. So it was just that like, horrible moment of knowing oh no we've scratched the car we had to return the car the next day and we go back to our friend's apartment and we sit there catastrophizing just thinking what do we do about this car we don't have a lot of money we were at the end of a very long trip around the world and so we were pretty much at the end of our budget and i remember calling my little brother who's really good with cars and asking him, Brian, like, how, how do we hide this? How do we hide this huge scratch in the side of the car? And it was a black car. And my brother says to me, oh, go get a Sharpie and just color it in. <laughs> <laughs> so spoiler alert we did not do that <laughs> basically what it came down to is we had to return the car we had to fess up to what had happened and this was something we learned which was quite interesting and reflects how seriously driving is in the uae when we went to return the car they told us we had to file a police report reporting what had happened to the vehicle and we thought this was so interesting because in canada if you scratch your car no one really cares the only time you would file a police report is if there's a lot of damage to a vehicle or if a person's hurt in a car accident we had to call the police and they had to come and we had to explain to them what had happened in this parking lot and they wrote out this whole report and sent it to the car rental place and in the end i think we ended up paying something like 200 dollars for for the scratch i can't imagine when you were first talking about using the gps and like all the different lanes and figuring out how to get to the exit on top of that, you have that little warning in the back of your head of like the strict driving laws and all the video cameras. So you can't even like in the US people like cut across lanes when they're like, oh my God, my exit. So you couldn't do that there. No, definitely not. And I, I love your brother's advice. Just color it in with a Sharpie. <laughs> That's so good at why. They'll never know. They'll never know. <laughs> I feel like That's something I would do. Call my brother because, you know, he has a knack for cars too. And just be like, what do I do? Yeah, brothers are good for that. Just that. <laughs> <laughs> You've had your car shut off in Jordan, a police report encounter because you scratched a car in Dubai. What could be crazier than that? <laughs> I don't know if this is the craziest story because in this one, technically, neither my partner or I were the driver, but it's still a fun one. This one takes place in Hampi, which is a beautiful place in Karnataka, India. We spent a week there and had decided we would spend the first bit of the week in one region and then move to another region of Hampi for the second half of the week. We had no car. We didn't rent a vehicle for this leg of the trip. So we had just been paying Tuk Tuk drivers to bring us from place to place. But the way that Hampi is, is that part of it is actually an island. It's really difficult to get from one part of Hampi to the other. You essentially have to drive like an extra hour all the way around. So we had figured this out and realized, oh, okay, we're 
going to have to call a tuk tuk. It's going to take a long time because tuk tuk's going to have to drive here and get us. And then we'll have to drive all the way back just to get to this other part of Hampi, which is not actually that far away. We just would have to cross water to reach it. I ended up explaining this to the host of the hotel we were staying in. And he said to us, oh, no, don't, don't worry. I'll drive you. I know a shortcut. And we thought, how would you have a shortcut like driving? There is no way. We're on an island. We have to cross water. And he said, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Like, we'll figure it out. Just just come with me. And we think, oh, okay, he must have a car. He's going to drive us a car or a tuk-tuk. And we grab all our bags. We go outside the hotel. And he pulls out around the corner on a motorbike. And we're standing there with, <laughs> we each have a huge pack that we've been traveling out of for eight months each. And we have a small pack as well. Plus we're two humans and he is a third human. And we're like, how are we gonna fit three people and two massive bags on this tiny motorbike? And we told him, we don't think this is gonna work. And he just kept saying, no, 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 that's fine. It'll work, just watch. Basically what he did is he strapped one of the bags down to the back of the motorbike. Then he got up on the front and he sat as close up to the front of this motorbike as he possibly could. And then my partner got on behind him and just like hugged him. And I got on on the very end and was literally only half on this motorbike, clasping onto my partner thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. And then the guy calls his wife. And she comes over and picks up the final bag and puts it on my back. <laughs> so there's three people plus a pack hanging off person number three, who's me, plus the pack that's strapped to the back of the motorbike. And I wish I had a photo of this because it must have been such a spectacle seeing this many people and this much luggage on this small motorbike. It's funny, though, because I think in some countries like in India and Vietnam and Thailand, that's actually not that abnormal. People manage to transport a lot of things on a small motorbike. But if you're from North America, it's still it's still sort of pretty surprising to see. You wonder how people actually manage to pull it off. And he ended up driving us to the ferry and we were able to hop on the ferry and cross over to the other side of Hampi really easily. Yeah. How many times were you thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to fall off? Oh, my God, I'm going to fall off. <laughs> the entire way. <laughs> I know you were talking about renting cars in other countries. Is it typically a manual or automatic and which do you prefer? Or have you driven both? We've done both. Although I'm pretty comfortable driving automatic, I don't have a lot of experience driving manual, but my partner does. He actually had a manual car here in Canada for years and he loves driving manual. So whenever we have the option to rent a manual vehicle, he always gets it. In Jordan, they only gave tourists automatic. But then when we went to Italy and rented a car there, we had to take, what's it called? Shift. We call it a shift car. Yeah. So we had to take that style in Italy. And I've actually noticed in Europe, because I have family in the Netherlands as well, that automatic is super uncommon there. So if you decide to rent a car there, you'll probably get non-automatic. I do have a question because you have driven so many rentals and then you did have that instance of... A scratch. What do you recommend for someone who would 
is looking into renting a car, is there like certain insurance or anything that you would recommend to get in order to protect yourself if something like this were to happen? Definitely. We have since learned that was actually one of our first times renting a car in a foreign country. So we weren't super clear on how insurance worked. And we didn't realize that if we had used a different credit card, we would have had coverage from that credit card company. But it all depends on what the credit card is. So I have a really good travel credit card, which gives really, really good insurance. So now when we rent a car abroad, we always use mine because it has better coverage. But I would say insurance is a must. If you can get it for free through your credit card, do that. If you travel a lot and you rent vehicles a lot, it's worth it to look for a credit card that gives you really good auto insurance. Otherwise, you can always purchase insurance through the rental company, which is a must do. Because if we had ended up with damage worse than a scratch, I think the costs would have been really suffocating for us. Yeah. So out of all the places that you have driven or been a passenger, have you noticed that there are certain types of drivers in those certain areas? For example, here in Maryland, we notice that a lot of drivers don't like to use their indicator. So that's like a thing here. <laughs> have you noticed certain driving types in different areas that you've been? Yes, definitely. I would say in Southeast Asia, we noticed that the way that you approach driving is different. So like you were just saying here in North America, you would always use an indicator to tell the person behind you which direction you're about to go. We noticed that in Southeast Asia, it's more, you don't always signal, you just assume that the person behind you is paying enough attention to avoid crashing into you. And so every driver is responsible for whatever's in front of them, and you're not responsible for what's behind you. And somehow the system works because we would be driving on a road surrounded by motorbikes, but as long as you focused on what was in front of you, it was okay. We noticed in India for sure, people honk their horns a lot. I even asked a friend of mine who's from India, I asked him, why do people honk their horns so much? And he couldn't give me an answer. He said, I don't know, people just were just taught to drive that way. So I always found that so funny because anytime we were in a city, it was just like constant honking. Which country did you find it the hardest to drive in and which did you find it the easiest? I would say the hardest is probably, it's a tie between Vietnam and India, but I'm going to say Vietnam because we drove there more. And the easiest, probably my home country, Canada, <laughs> honestly. Because <laughs> there's, you know, rules and people follow them. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> now that we've heard some of your crazy driving stories, let's dive a little deeper into you as a driver. How would you describe yourself as a driver? And do you think your family and friends would agree? I would say right now, I'm definitely a rookie driver, but I'm a cautious and a good driver, probably because I had that initial experience when I was younger. So I know the ropes already pretty well. And I would say that I'm cautious, but I do also like to speed in situations where I feel that it's safe. But I will only speed if there's no one else around and the road is completely straight. And not in the Jordan desert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> would you say that your family and friends would agree with that? Yeah, I would. Actually, like not to shoot my own horn, but my dad always said that I was a really good driver. But I think that's probably because he compared my driving to my brother's. <laughs> my brother's a little more reckless. Yeah, I feel like that would be the same in our family. <laughs> I feel like boys in general just are a little more 
not wreck. I guess I just like to test out the car more than I feel like girls do. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Well, speaking of type of driving, would you consider yourself someone who honks? Or would you consider yourself a honker? No, definitely not. I'm very passive. I will never like get upset with another driver. I'm more likely just to like slow down and let them do their thing and move on. I'm like as opposite of road rage as possible. I don't think I've ever even honked the horn maybe once or twice, but I can't, I can't even remember the last time I would have. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, for the longest time, I'd never even touched my horn. I'm like, what does it even sound like? I just, <laughs> just want to hear it. <laughs> and then one time I had to use it. I'm like, oh, that's my horn. Wow, I did it. Bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> I should test it out next time I get in the car. I feel like I have a hard time when I had to do use it once or twice, pushing it hard enough to make it make a sound. <laughs> Wow. In what yeah. situations have you actually used it? Usually it's at red lights when people don't pay attention <laughs> and the light turns green and you're like, okay, come on. But one time somebody just pulled out in front of me when I was coming really fast and it could have ended really bad if I didn't slam on the brakes. Wow. Yeah. The only time, only time I've used my horn is someone. Well, so this was a phase where I'm like, okay, I'm going to use my horn. The next time someone does something that they deserve for them to be honked at. <laughs> so this person almost like went into my lane and into me without even looking. So then I was like, yeah, you're getting a horn. <laughs> I felt very proud of myself because I never use it. So I was like, you deserve that. <laughs> Speaking of honking and other drivers, what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? Oh, it's so easy. Aggressive drivers. They really bother me. I just don't understand why. Like driving aggressively is not getting you to where you need to go any faster. You're just annoying people. And I find especially like now, because I'm a newer driver for the second time, I find it really intimidating and it throws me off, especially when I first got my G1. People that would aggressively come up behind you or cut you off, there's no point to it. And it just creates tension. I would say that's like hands down my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. And that, and I feel like they're only harming their own health and like raising their blood pressure and like being reckless. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know you mentioned that you don't get road rage, but have you ever been in a situation where you've experienced road rage or someone having road rage towards you? I haven't experienced it firsthand because I'm just not the type of person who would ever end up in that situation. And neither is my partner, honestly, but I've actually seen it happening and it was quite scary. We saw this truck. It was driving down along alongside us in the city of Windsor, which is near Detroit, but still Canada. And it was like a long stretch of industrial road. And this truck cut off a motorcyclist. And I think like initially it was an accident, but the motorcyclist got really angry and he pulled off the road for a minute. And then like Probably two minutes later, he came speeding up behind us and came up alongside the truck and the guy rolled down his window and they were screaming at each other and their arms were going like this and they were swerving all over the road. And we thought they were going to either crash into each other or cause a collision or pull over and fight physically. It was pretty scary until finally the motorcyclist, I think, decided to back out and he 
drove away. Oh my gosh. I, I'm i glad that wasn't you who was getting the road rage towards you, but that's still seeing it happen right near you also makes you worry, like, are they going to come towards me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were like, we don't want to be involved at all. So let's just slow down and <laughs> stay as far away as possible. We don't know what's going on. We're not part of this. <laughs> exactly. I know you mentioned that you, this is your second time your second first time learning to drive. How would you describe both of your first time experiences? The first time I learned to drive, I felt very confident. I was excited and I don't know, my brother taught me, which was fun. It was just very lighthearted. The second time I have felt much more nervous. So I found like I have to deal with anxiety more with driving again, second time around. But I've been driving now the second time for about a year. And I think just now it started to like relieve itself a little bit. I feel much more confident driving again. But it's interesting how like the age difference, I'm pretty sure is what made me feel like, it just must be like, you know, when you're young and you think you're invincible. I definitely had that feeling the first time I started driving. Whereas this time I'm old enough to know how bad it can go. So I feel much more anxiety about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. When you're younger, you're all like, oh, nothing can go wrong. It's all great. I'm free. My license. But then as you start driving or the older you get, you're like, oh, no, this is serious business. Yeah. A lot could go wrong. Absolutely. How would you describe your driving test experience? Well, well, I mean, you haven't had it yet, yeah. have you, for the second one? I had it the first time and I did really well. It went super well. I parallel parked like a champ. Oh, we'll see about the second time now. Yeah, and you had to parallel park on your uh, driving test? Yes. Is that something that is still on most Canadian driving tests or was it just in your area? Because in the U.S. here, I feel like a lot of tests have either not had it or have started to remove it from the test. Really? That's so interesting. You do. You still have to parallel park, I think, at least across Ontario. And for most people, that's the toughest part of the test. That's what makes people the most nervous because like, it's hard to do. And they make you do it for your G2 test, which is the second phase of your licensing. So for that test, you really just like drive around a neighborhood, go through a couple lights and then parallel park. And then for the G test, it's a highway test. So they bring you onto the highway. But yeah, parallel parking is always the thing everyone's the most worried about with their driving test. Oh, that's interesting that you actually take a driver's test on the road twice for your different levels. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's not like that in the States. No, we, you get your, you take the written test where you'll get your permit and then you have to drive for X number of months before you can go for the on the road test. And then you just take the on the road test, which is like everything included. Well, it used to be parallel parking, but then like forward parking, reverse parking, and then like on the road test all in one. Oh. That's so interesting because we in total take three tests because we do a written test for the initial permit and then two driving tests. Wow. So they really want to make sure that you know how to drive. <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently I should come to the U.S. to get my driver's license and just transfer it. <laughs> Be easier. I was just about to ask which would you prefer, but that answered it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're close enough, right? <laughs> just exactly so with the future of cars possibly changing and with the idea of the potential of self-driving cars coming maybe not really soon but in the future 
What are your thoughts on this and would you ever get in a car like that? Mm, okay, that's a tough one. I'm generally pretty open to new technology, so I could definitely see myself getting in one. I think though that I wouldn't ever become like a whole convert, like, oh, I only take myself driving car places because I enjoy driving. So I don't know that I would use that function all the time. I'm assuming that like these cars of the future will have both. You can drive yourself and then at other times you can self-drive. I think I'd like to use a mixture, but it'd be fun to see it. Like I think technology like that is so exciting. So I definitely look forward to it. And I also think it'll be really awesome in some situations. Like say you need to drive somewhere overnight and you want a nap then you can still be moving, but also sleeping. It's perfect. I guess it would also be helpful if you want to drive in another country, but don't 100% feel comfortable driving. So you can like half depend on the car and half depend on yourself. That's so true. That's such a good point. Bonus question. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. If you can make one new driving law, what would it be? You're not allowed. Okay. I don't know what this is called, but you know when people make their car sound really loud? like their engine, mm. I would make that illegal. <laughs> I feel like someone else has said something like that in a past season episode, which, and I think they were also from Canada. So this yes. is- <laughs> They were. <laughs> this is a Canadian ah. thing. <laughs> it must be. I don't know. I think it's the pandemic too. Like people have been so bored that a lot of people have taken to just jacking up their cars. And so we always hear it all the time. People that just have these super obnoxiously loud engines. And I don't know. They probably like it, but I find it really annoying. Yeah, no, I agree. It's like you can just hear them like a mile or two away and you're like, oh my God, here comes another one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we also live on a pretty main road, which I'm surprised that no car has driven by during this, but usually you can hear them really obnoxiously loud. <laughs> Whoa. Before we let you go, I know you have a podcast of your own. Where can listeners find it if they want to listen? I'm the host of a podcast called Alpaca My Bags. And it is a travel podcast, but it focuses on responsible travel topics. So every episode, I interview someone from the travel space about a responsible travel related topic. So for example, we've covered things like dark tourism and over tourism, how to travel authentically and other similar topics. So if you're interested in listening, you can go to alpacamubags.ca and you can find us on any podcast app. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed listening to your crazy driving stories and I know you can speed in other countries. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was really fun. I learned quite a lot from her about renting cars in other countries, and especially the importance of having insurance. I personally cannot imagine what I would do if our rental car just stopped in the middle of the desert. Like, how would you react to that? Especially if like you're driving like full speed on a highway, and then all of a sudden you're just like, I'm losing, I'm losing gas. Like what? It's so lucky that there was nobody around. Like, imagine being on a highly trafficked road and you're doing this, and then all of a sudden you're just like, you start slowing down. It's like, please let me over. Excuse me. Excuse me. I wonder what they, I don't know how busy it gets over there. And if you were to speed and your car just shut off, like, uh, like, would they imagine you're, I know this is like more close to, people who live in Maryland or have been in this area know, like, imagine you're on 695 and your car just shuts off. <laughs> uh. 
I feel like, so, okay, so if they can track your speed, they could probably also be like, okay, this is where they are. It's safe for us to turn off their car. Like, I would hope that if they're like, oh, wait, but they're in this heavily, like, heavily trafficked road, there's traffic around. We're not going to shut off their car at this moment. Once they turn onto a side road, we'll shut it off. <laughs> is it something that's controlled, like, at a headquarters or whatever or is yeah. it something like put in the car where it automatically detects oh they're over the speed and shuts it off yeah that'd be so scary though like i think they were in the desert where there's no one around yeah i agree uh, <laughs> well that was erin we hope you enjoyed hearing her driving stories and be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek from next week's episode with driver scott gurian who shares with us about the disastrous but fun ride he had during the Mongol rally. Thank you for tuning in this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends, subscribing, or leaving us a review. It truly does help us get discovered. Thanks for choosing to drive with us, and we'll see you next week. It was called the Mongol rally, and it's, it's an annual event that takes place to raise money for charity where there's like a few hundred teams each year that drive starting in the UK and they end nowadays it's in Ulan Ude, Siberia, it's just north of Mongolia. And you choose your own route in between. So there's no winners or losers. The goal is just kind of to get to the end without breaking down too badly. And the main rule of the event is that there's, there's not a lot of rules of the event, but one of the rules is that they make you take a tiny car, a car that's kind of totally not suitable for a journey of this sort. So they actually limit the engine size. And we ended up taking a Nissan Micra, which is like a little tiny hatchback. Basically, someone described it as like a middle-aged woman going to get her groceries in central London or something. It's, it's not like a car you take over mountains and through deserts and everything like we did.